How's everyone doing? We all right? Alive? Awesome. Okay, Matthew 23, if you have a Bible. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read it before you have the chance to find the verse, because that's what we do in church. So it says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. It says this um, earlier, before that point, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So I want to carry this conversation about cups today. Last week we talked about this idea that we can fall into a should Christianity uh, very easily where we find ourselves doing the right things, operating in the right way, and our trust and our hope and our expectation shifts from being in Jesus to in these things. If I just turn up every Sunday, if I just read my word, if I just sing all of these songs, then something will happen inside of me. And very quickly, we end up just like the Pharisees, determined to follow the rules, but disconnected from the heart. And so I want to carry this conversation further and take a slightly different angle. So Jesus is essentially speaking to the religious leaders. He's speaking to people like me, going, you guys are putting heavy loads on side of people. But don't do what these Pharisees are doing. By the way, some, uh, some theologians suggest that they thought that Jesus himself was a Pharisee. Right? So that type of religious leader. His perspective, his thinking, some of those types of things. Now, so it's almost like an insider critique. Him going, no, no, no. You guys know how to do this and follow the rules and do all of that. All the while, you are disconnected from the very heart of God. Now, if you go to uh, the middle of New York and you find like the, some of the Hasidic Jewish communities, you will find that they take it so far that if you end up in an elevator, you uh, cannot actually press the button on Sabbath because it's considered work, right? So <laughs> if someone does, if you're not with someone, you're going, that's a long day in the elevator, just waiting, let someone come. Now, the you can admire some of that devotion to, no, we're going to rest, not do any work. But then you can also go, okay, but is there a slightly missing the point of this? That it's not really about just absolutely trying to follow rules. It's about trying to connect with the heart of God. And if you were to summarize the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's big proclamation of his way and his kingdom, it would be maybe oversimplification of, of it. But I would suggest that largely what Jesus is saying is that your hands and feet they don't matter as much as your heart, what's happening in your heart. Everything Jesus is trying to attack is what comes from within. Cool? So in this context, Jesus is attacking the fact that what was meant to bring order and freedom and justice and um, healing to people had become a suffocating burden. And many of us have lived that burden, haven't we? Oh, I'm doing all of the right things, but actually our hearts are disconnected. So today I want to talk about a slightly different angle of these cups, but we're going to talk about the stories that we tell. So I wanted to show a video clip today. However, the last time I tried to show a funny video clip, I ended up needing to apologize to people. So I thought, you know what, Aaron, don't do that. 
don't show a funny, um, albeit I would have been 22, uh, however, uh, I was going to show a clip from, if anyone's seen any of those YouTube videos of uh, Key and Peel, but they have a skit where they have this one and it's called Misunderstood Text, right? And in this, in this uh, skit, essentially, a guy texts his friend and he goes, hey man, are we still down to meet up? And his friend texts back and goes, you know, basically, whatever, I don't really care. And the guy gets back and he's like, whatever, I don't even care. Do you even want to go? And then, like, you know, so it's just showing the back and forth reaction. And then his friend says, uh, if you want to go, we can go right now. And then his friend's reading back the text and he's going, you want to go right now? Anyway, it just escalates. And then it ends up with his friend, with the guy who's getting fired up and his other friend, Mallow Ayers, at home. The fired up guy turns up to the pub where they were going to meet with this bat with like nails coming out of it. And he's like, yo! And the guy turns around and he's like, oh, hey, man. He's like, oh, maybe this wasn't actually what was going on. The stories that we tell ourselves, like the main character in that story, they are the difference between the quality of life and terrible life. All right? they're, sorry, they're the difference between uh, actually good life and a not good life. So it's Dr. Anna Lemke, a, a psychologist, she talks about the idea that healing only comes when the stories that we tell are truly self-aware, truly the truth. So there's a story that goes on by, and it's probably a story repeated millions of different forms in different ways, but I read about one alcoholic who was at Alcoholics Anonymous in the class, and he was there by court order. He didn't want to be there. And every single session, he played down his alcoholism extremely. Kind of like, it's not even, it's not really that bad. And the, the psychologist was struggling to get through to the point all she was facing was denial. And so she decided to go a different route and contacted his wife in one of the sessions and said, can you tell everyone what your experience of your husband's alcoholism has been? And so she speaks, and the husband's head just falls into his hands as he hears the absolute devastating truth of some of the things that he had done. It was like all of a sudden he could not hide. It was before him. Now, the, the, the stories that he'd been telling himself, well, it's, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. There are people that are worse than me. There's all sorts of things that have gone on. But when he was actually to, able to face the gravity of it, I can't hide, I can't run away, now all of a sudden forced to face the reality. So we're going to have a conversation today about this, about the inside of the cup, because the inside of the cup is often the story that we don't tell, okay? So we're going to talk about brokenness versus woundedness, and I have a, a quote from Dallas Willard, that which will be up on the screen, and it says this. It is common today to hear Christians talk about their brokenness, but when you listen closely, you may discover that they are talking about their wounds, the things they have suffered, not about the evil that is in them. Yet, without this realization of our utter ruin and without the genuine revisioning and redirecting our lives, uh, which that bitter realization naturally gives rise to, no clear path to true transformation can be found. It is psychologically and spiritually impossible. We will steadfastly remain on the throne of our universe so far as we are concerned, perhaps trying to use a little God here and there. So, this is how one might summarize in a real short way, woundedness and brokenness. So woundedness 
equals the pain I experience as a result of someone or something else. Kapai? Brokenness is the pain I experience as a result of my own inner evil. And I want to ask a simple question today. Is the story you tell about your life in regards to hardship one of woundedness or of brokenness? Another way of thinking about it is woundedness equals victim, but brokenness equals perpetrator. Now, when we tell stories about ourselves, it's human nature to rather be the victim in the story than the perpetrator. We don't want to be the one that's gone out intentionally and done all of these things. But if the story that you tell of hardship centers pain and suffering primarily around what has happened to you by others or through different circumstances, it would be incredibly easy to live in that victimhood, and that is unhealthy. And so we must talk about the hurt that other people have inflicted on us, 100%. If we don't, that becomes all sorts of chaos. However, if the conversation never moves to the inside of the cup, the brokenness, the inner evil, we will live uh, against transformation. In fact, we will, we will enter into malformation. So the story of woundedness is actually a story of powerlessness. And if you keep telling stories that remind you of that powerlessness, that is where you will live. And that is also where fear lives. Powerlessness happens when you, your story never gets to the inside of the cup. And so powerful inner cup conversations or inner evil or brokenness conversations are able to happen when we look at the woundedness that we live with and we go, how has that become inner evil in me? So if we don't ask that question, we risk wounding others under the justification that we ourselves are wounded. We say things like, the only reason I said that was because you... Da, 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 da. Right? And so when we talk like that, we are presenting a clean cup image. Oh, it's fine because you said that, which justifies all the reactions that I, however we talk about it. But the reality is, is that unless we are able to tell the story and recognize how woundedness has become evil inside of us, we actually don't find healing. Our narrative is always that, oh, we're out of control and these bad things that just keep happening to me versus, well, actually, this thing happened when I was however old and the result of that is an increasing bitterness about this type of person or this type of experience or whatever, whatever it might be. It's a kind of a you-hit-me-first justification, isn't it? I can do what I want because you hit me first. Now, external behavior that is clearly wrong is one thing, but what about the heart stuff, the bitterness that lives, the anger that lives beneath the surface? So this week I had been in a, a block course at Laidlaw, and as part of an assignment I had to do, I had to reflect on a scenario within my pastoral experience that was painful to me. So I flicked through the seven million options, jokes, and landed on one particular incident, and as I started to dive into this incident, do you know what? The first thing that happened, my experience was woundedness. Yeah, this person did that, and then they did this, and then they did this, and then they did that. And as I sat with it, the conversation started to turn, not, not at the justification of what this person had done, but it started to turn because I intentionally started to go, what is my brokenness in this? 
What part did my inner evil have to play inside of this? And so by the end of the assignment, actually, what, had, what was a really painful story to me, all of a sudden my primary concern wasn't what someone else had done to me. My primary concern was the inner evil that was at work within my life that was bringing extra damage to me. Yeah, And there's power in that. Because if your, all your problems are what someone else has done to you, you are absolutely powerless to change that. But if your primary problems are yourself, all of a sudden you can go, God, I'm bringing this to you. Walk with me. Work with me. Help expose this in my life. Now, it's, it's, it's like anything, isn't it? You can get revelation about yourself, and it's really exciting. I don't know if anyone's done the Enneagram or dive deep into that, but the Enneagram is basically, if Strength Finder is you at your best, the Enneagram is almost like you at your worst, okay? And it's, a, the, it's your shadow side, and it's really helpful to actually look at. And it's, it's like, when I dived into the Enneagram, I was kind of found myself really fascinated by, oh yeah, I, I would do that, and I do do that, and it's like, revelation, oh, this is cool, these are the things that I do, I can monitor that, until you have that experience that triggers that shadow side, and now you're in it, and all of a sudden that information doesn't feel that cool, right? Like, ah, oh, damn it, I wish I did not do this, and I'm, but I'm so far in it, I don't know how to get myself out of this corner. Love it, right? The, the revelation of information about us versus the experience of that information about us. I remember sitting down with someone that had caused major pain lots and, uh, to lots and lots of people. And I realized that as they spoke, that they were only really sorry for the fact that they had been affected. The language was still, if that person hadn't, da 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 da. And you know what? Until that person could say, I did this, they would be destined to repeat the abuse. And this is the truth for all of us, isn't it? Until we can look at the inner cup, all of the mud that causes that, that cup to be unclean will continue to be there. It'll continue to express itself in many, many different ways. And I'm in a season where I'm being forced to face the inner cup in a more beautiful and a deeper way, I feel. And can I tell you what happens when you choose to experience, feel, and see your brokenness, your inner cup? The slow and gradual work of healing begins, even when you, all you want to do is run away from it. It's too unbearable to face. I know that that's me, but damn it, that's me. And sitting with that, allowing ourselves to feel that, to know that. Powerlessness soaks up so much energy. And people that can only tell stories of their wounds will spend all their time reliving and retelling how other people or external events hurt them. But people that are empowered, that can talk about their inner evil, will reevaluate every wound accordingly. Look for where their own brokenness has been at work, searching for patterns, looking to squash the patterns of brokenness. Now, I hope you don't hear me say, Let's not talk about what happens to you, what other people have done to you, because that's a mark of immaturity. That is not what I am saying. What I am saying is that if we are going to, on, in an ongoing way, retell stories, if all we tell is the story of our wounds, there is no redemption waiting for us. It's just the exacerbating of the pain, 
pushing on the bruises over and over again. So I don't know if any of you have read any of uh, Mr. Pete Scazzaro, the emotionally healthy leader, emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy discipleship. He's a bit of a checklist, and um, got to love a good checklist. And I thought I'd just ring it out, read some of the stuff out. And it's really about, it's a health check for where, where are you at? How are things going for you? But I want to suggest that some of the things that I'm going to ask about, some of them are not connected to pain per se, but I want to suggest this, that if you are living in woundedness, the ongoing effect is that it bleeds into every part of your life. So let's ask a couple of questions. Think about whether this is true of you or not. And think about how often you would go, yeah, I'd probably do a little bit of that. I take sufficient time to experience and process difficult emotions such as anger, fear, and sadness. (laughs) So good. (laughs) I am able to identify how issues from my family of origin impact my relationships and leadership, both negatively and positively. If married, the way I spend my time and energy reflects the value that my marriage, not leadership, is my first priority. So that's a bit of a leadership spin. But if single, the way I, sp- I spend my time and energy reflects the value that living out a healthy singleness is my first priority. If married, I experience a direct connection between my oneness with Jesus and oneness with my spouse. If single, I experience a direct connection between my oneness with Jesus and closeness with my friends and family. No matter how busy I am, I constantly practice the spiritual disciplines of solitude and silence. I regularly read scripture and pray in order to enjoy communion with God and not just in service or in leading of others. I practice Sabbath, a weekly 24-hour period in which I stop my work, rest, and delight in God's many gifts. I view Sabbath as a spiritual discipline that is essential for both my personal life and my leadership. I take time to practice prayerful discernment when making plans and decisions. I measure the success of planning and decision-making primarily in terms of discerning and doing God's will, rather than exclusively by measures such as excellence, programming, or expanding impact in the world around. With those, and this is for you that if you're a boss of any kind, for those who report to me, I consistently devote a portion of my supervision time to help them with their in a life. I do not avoid difficult conversations with team members about their performance or behavior. That would be no one in this room, right? No avoiders. I feel comfortable, are comfortable talking about the use of power in connection with my role and that of others. I have articulated and established healthy boundaries in relationships that are in overlapping roles. And instead of avoiding endings and losses, I embrace them and see them as fundamental part of the way God works. Okay, why do I bring that stuff up? Because I believe that the inner cup conversation is a, cup of, is a conversation about how healthy we are or not, right? Now, if you've listened to a bunch of that and you've gone, oh, yeah, I don't really do that, I don't really do that, I don't really do that, and I don't really do that, allow it to confront the inner cup that's happening inside of you. The part of you that has learned to run away or the part of you that's learned to quickly race into conflict. So Katongale and Rice, these two thinkers, they discuss three things to overcome in our quest to make peace 
in conflict, right? So one is speed. So, and I get, my, I get stuck in this all the time, hastily trying to make things right, fix things. However, my own experience of this has been that speed often resulted in me sacrificing my own feelings at the altar of the relationship, which would then become an inner resentment that bubbled away because I felt unseen and not heard. And wanting to make things right, speed corrupts the process because we both don't give ourselves time to feel, think, and prepare, but we are also unready for if the conflict goes south. Secondly, innocence, and this is the conversation about woundedness, is that if we see ourselves primarily as the victim and we don't see any of the brokenness as our own, it's going to break any opportunity for any real peace. And thirdly, Removing ourselves from proximity, so distance. Allowing ourselves to become distant and far away and avoiding sort of, it's actually, a, it's actually a, not a, running away is a form of control. It's very rarely is it actually about safety. Most predominantly it's about controlling the relationship and how the experience happens. Sometimes it is about like, you're unsafe and I need to get away from you. But for people that have a lifetime of distance, it can be more predominantly about control. So the good news of the gospel is that if you walk with Jesus, he will help you face and experience your inner cup. And I say experience because until you experience that and you feel it deeply, you're probably unlikely to do much about it. Our own stuff, Jesus did not just come to set us free from the wounds of, other, of others towards us. He came to set us free, and I think primarily from how we wound ourselves. And the point of facing inner evil isn't to beat yourself up and overly criticize yourself because that in itself is your inner evil, right? The self-shame, the wallowing, the despair are all forms of distraction that delay us facing the music. There is a difference between going, oh, that lives in me and it sucks, but Christ came to set me free, so I'm going to keep walking with him and others until I'm free versus I'm a useless loser who will never change. And one posture is looking to go to war with mess. One posture is looking to be comforted about their mess. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, There's no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. See, when we get, when we get wounded, we need a doctor to get healed, don't we? That's true in, in anything. Otherwise, the wounds, they fester and they become diseased and they take control of our bodies. But we need community because community both wounds us, this is important, and point us to our wounds. And every time you get wounded, it's an opportunity for your inner evil to be confronted and healed. And that's not a fun point. It's nothing that, there's not an, an exciting experience of that waiting for anyone. But it is a way of reimagining our woundedness. When these things happen, we can either go, like, this is the worst thing ever, I'm out. Or we can go, this is a chance for me to confront some things that are living within me. It doesn't make what the other person has done wrong, but it does make what has happened to you an opportunity to be more whole and more alive. And for some of us, our woundedness has become an identity. And can I suggest that you do something that would feel like a betrayal, but hand over your wounds as your identity? You are more than the worst things that have happened to you, both now and intergenerationally. You can embrace your brokenness 
and become whole. Not embrace it in a way of like, we're going to be buddies and hang out together, but embrace it as in, we're going to war. You're not living in me. I'm not passing you on to my children. This isn't happening. So if we don't hand over our, our, broken, our, our wounds and embrace our brokenness, I think that we will live sad, angry, and resentful for the rest of our days. So it says this in 2 Corinthians 3.16, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The veil gets lifted when we meet Jesus. And I feel the truth of the reality is that he continues to lift veils off us, right? Just over and over and over again. And every time we're like, I'm so self-aware, here's a conflict that will reveal that you are not. Here's a challenge that will bring up your unbearable feelings. And this is, if you are feeling condemned this morning, even that is your inner evil trying to pull you back in. This is not a conversation about condemnation. This is a conversation about freedom. Yeah? Jesus wants us to go, you know what? Your stuff is messy, but it's not that bad. It's not so bad that it was not more powerful than what I did on the cross. Yeah? What I did was enough, so let's face it so that you don't have to live with it over and over and over again. And uh, this morning, I wanted to lead us in a prayer of repentance. (laughs) <laughs> this, man, this is just, uh, it, it actually is a really joyful conversation, guys. Oh, I promise you the end result is awesome. But I, in order for us to be free, we need to see what the inner cup is. We must. We actually must. And if we are to be healers in the world, which I think we've been called to be, and if we're to have marriages that work, which I think we're called to have, And if we're called to have relationships that last and friendships that last, if we avoid the inner cup, always so sure that the other person is the mess, then we delay the beauty that awaits. There is nothing fun about looking in a mirror, searching for the person that's to blame for how you're feeling. Because you will look forever And ever and ever, and all you will see is yourself. Because you are where the hurt lives, not them. It lives in you. So, let's stand together. I hope that I have um, in some way articulated clearly. And if this has brought stuff up for you, can I suggest that counseling and and seeing psychologists and whatever else, they're great avenues to further process the things that are happening. Sometimes the inner cup is not possible. Actually, none of our change is possible just by willpower. It requires community. It requires walking with Jesus. But sometimes it also requires some really specialized experts to help us go, hey, I don't know if you're seeing this. So, your cup is dirty. So is mine. Why don't you just close your eyes? Your cup is dirty. 
So is mine. Your cup is dirty. So is mine. Just sit with it. Allow God to bring to mind whether it's your brokenness or whether it's the wounds that have now become brokenness. Bring to mind. God might bring to mind a person. Maybe you've spent a large portion of your life blaming someone else for your reality. God wants to heal your cup. If this person hadn't have done this, if this hadn't happened here, God wants to clean your cup. The hurt lives in you. Lord, for where we have been perpetrators, which is often, Lord, give us eyes to see. You are so unintimidated by the inner evil that walks with us. You are so unintimidated. You are not worried. You are not anxious. And I just want to speak over you that are swimming in despair. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would liberate, liberate people who just feel so stuck. Like, I don't want to be here. Or I don't want to think like this, but I just am again and again and again. You promise to give us life and life to the full. And today, Jesus... We are asking for that life and life to the full. We're asking for that abundant life. And if you want to confess this morning, why don't you open your hands and say, Lord Jesus, I confess my brokenness. Lord Jesus, I confess my bitterness. I confess my unforgiveness. I confess my anger. I confess my resentment. I confess my destructive thinking. I confess my whatever. Confess and be free. And now, Lord Jesus, lead us into repentance. Lead us to change. Lead us to change. We don't want to stay here. There is none like you, no one else can touch my heart like you do, I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you, there is none. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. 
And I could search for all eternity long And find there is none like you So there's no one else that can touch our hearts and There's no one else that can actually clean our cups But we're not alone and you are not alone And you might feel unclean but the, the cleaner of all cleaners is our God. He makes you right. He makes you whole. I break the bondage, Lord, over people's life, the intergenerational stuff, both seen and unseen. I pray would you cut the cords of death that are wrapped around people. My dad had this, therefore I have this. My mum walked with this, therefore I have this. Break the cords of death. My grandfather was an angry man. I am an angry man. I break the cords of death, Jesus, of addiction, of abuse. I ask, Lord Jesus, set people free. Thank you, Lord. If this morning you're feeling like, oh man, I need... I just need someone to put their hands on my shoulders and I need, I need someone to speak words of life. Can I invite you to, to come and, and kneel? We'd love to pray for you. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to finish with our prayer. I recognize this morning's been um, heavy, but I hope it's been helpful. Kapai, if we can just chuck our karaki up. Kia orangia koe e tiariki. Kia tāwhareutia, kia whitia koe e tanama tāho, kia atawhaitia, kia aroa tū te ariki, kia koe, kia tau te rangi mārie, hoho te rongo, tau mai te mauri, haumie, huie, tāki e. Kia ora koutou.